ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Almond milk, coconut milk, rice milk, soy milk, hemp milk, oat milk. Do you believe there's pea milk and peanut milk? So many choices, but questions are now being asked around whether or not it should be called milk. And are these plant-based milks healthier for you and are they better for the environment? What about plant-based meat? Is it meat? Is it a plant? Is it processed food? Plant-based products are a huge and growing industry, but now around the world, questions are being asked around how they should be labelled, how much of it we should consume, and whether or not it really is better for us and for our climate. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning. Kirsten Dipro is joining you from ABC Warnable. Now, Kirsten, let's face facts, you may be a little bit biased in this conversation. But bringing a much-needed balance, you're a grain and dairy farmer. On top of that, you are someone that spends a lot of time presenting at things like ag festivals, future of agricultural events. So you sort of got your finger on the pulse when it comes to the future of ag and what consumers and farmers want. Is the plant-based world making a ripple in traditional agriculture, do you think? Well, good morning, Rochelle. I've got my finger in a few pies and that also includes livestock as well. So we, we produce lamb, um, we have some cattle uh, as well in our mixed enterprise. But um, it's in terms of whether it's making a ripple... Yes, it's an emerging in industry and it's one that agriculture has to pay attention to and very much is. You know, for one, it shows what consumer sentiment is, that consumers want healthy food, but the price point can often be an issue. So, and, and I think that's really starting to bite now. We've seen some of those big brands who make plant-based foods actually dip in their sales because cost of living is becoming so important. And meat's, I suppose, taken a little bit of a hit in that respect too. But globally, meat has increased, um, consumption has increased by about 20, uh, by 58% in the last 20 years. Um, That's to 2018. But that's the trend that we've seen globally. And also in Australia, meat consumption has gone up. So meat's still very popular. Um, And and in terms of milk, plant-based milk is on the rise. More people are choosing to have those almond and the soy and whatever. But again, people are still drinking dairy milk uh, in large volumes. And I suppose I'm not a big fan of the word milk being used for something that isn't milk. You know, you can have sheep's milk, you can have cow's milk, but if it comes from a nut it's not milk. You know, milk has a completely different profile, right? You get, there's lots of protein in milk. It's got higher calories. It's got a higher fat content. So you're welcome to drink almond milk and some people are lactose intolerant and I can understand why you don't want to have dairy products if you're, if it makes you feel ill, but it's not milk. That's, you know, that's my two cents. And around the world, there are potential changes to what plant-based products can be called. We know in France, they're looking at changing not only the word meat, but even some of those terms around meat, like steak and grill. So maybe you drink plant-based milk, maybe you eat plant-based meat products. And why? Is it for health? Is it for the environment? Is it simply for taste? And does it matter if plant-based products are called meat or milk? This is the Conversation Hour. No milk today, my love. 
Good morning. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Kirsten Dipro is joining you from ABC Warnable. And in the studio, Dr. Sandro DeMayo, the CEO of Vic Health. A warm welcome to you, g'day, g'day. Sandro. Before we sort of get down to the nuts and bolts of is plant-based products healthier for us? Mm. Is it better for the environment? We've been hearing on the news today some fairly alarming research that's come out from the CSIRO that half of us Mm. aren't eating enough vegetables. We're not eating a healthy diet. When we talk about plant-based products, I think most of us think it's healthier for us. It's better for us. Where does the confusion come into maybe us not eating as well as what we think we are? Yeah, look, over the last couple of decades, there's been this massive shift in our diets and in our global food systems. And this has become such a, 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 I suppose, worldwide problem that, in fact, the United Nations have even just recently, as two months ago, held a big global meeting on food systems. So we've seen Western sort of ultra-processed foods become more common everywhere in the planet, across the planet, including here in Australia. We've seen the proportion of our diets that are ultra-processed, you know, high in salt, fats, sugars, increase year on year. Uh, And that's been probably because of a few things, the increase in advertising of unhealthy foods, the fact that these foods have become, you know, big business and big profit, uh, and also the increasing cost of healthy mm. foods. And so at the at the centre of this is then the rise in chronic disease, but also climate change, uh, which are both linked to the food that we are or are not eating. Um, and a big part of that is, of course, the proportion of fruit and vegetables versus meat on our plate. In Australia, we eat far more meat than most people across the planet. Uh, we eat, in fact, more meat than is generally recommended by um, the dietary, even the Australian Dietary Guidelines. We, we, we eat may, way more meat uh, than, is, than is recommended. Um, but we're also a really important producer of high-quality uh, fairly sustainable meat. We have some of the most sustainable farming practices in the world. So it's a complicated conversation. It's not black and white. Mm. There are opportunities and there are trade-offs. But when it comes to our health and to our environment, uh, meat is a very big deal. The reasons as to why people are choosing different types of product to eat, I think, have changed a lot in the last coming years. Once upon a time, you're either vegetarian because you're an animal lover, and that was pretty much yeah. it. But now the environment comes into Absolutely. it. Uh, it might also be cost of living will come into it. So the reasons behind it, I think, have, have really varied, Kirsten. Yeah, I agree. And and health is also one of them. And and Sandra, you, you mentioned there that we're eating more meat and perhaps we don't actually need to be um, eating so much meat. And again, as as a farmer, I'm not worried by that. You know, I'm I want people to eat healthy. Mm. We export so much of our yeah. product anyway because of that great reputation that we do have that, you know, our meat go can go overseas. It can go to other places as well. We don't have to just worry about the, the local market. I suppose, though, when we're trying to eat healthy, Sandro, and we see plant-based, can we be assured that we are, you know, ticking the boxes of fruit and vegetables? Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, plant-based, uh, one of the challenges we have in our country is the lack of regulation, the lack of consistency around labelling. And we've talked about this before, you know, foods that say no added sugar that are actually 30% sugar, for example, uh, foods that say natural that are built in laboratory. Um, you know, it's the same with plant-based foods. You know, there will be, there are plant-based foods out there that are highly nutritious, uh, that are, you know, maybe tofu or tempeh or um, vegetable-based that are, um, you know, great ways of getting protein. Uh, 
protein and micronutrients into your diet alongside or instead of meat, depending on your your you know dietary persuasions. Um, but there are also really highly processed products on the market uh, that take a huge amount of energy to produce that are not terribly healthy uh, and that are built in a laboratory like lots of other yeah. ultra processed foods. So I think one of the takeaways is that you know just because it says it's plant based, unfortunately, doesn't mean that it's healthy. But there are certainly plant based foods that are very healthy. Before we speak to our first guest, who is actually researching that exact area, is this a form of processed food? Does the word plant almost need to be removed from some of these conversations if it's been extracted and pulled out and it's been built in a laboratory and pretty much you know doesn't actually represent a plant at all? When we talk about plant-based milks. Now, I don't buy a lot of coffee, and if I do, I drink black coffee, but the amount of choice that Mm. you have. But then if you turn it over and read the back, that could be full of a lot of sugar, a lot of things. As a doctor, where do you sit on plant-based milks and just some of the information that we have and also, too, some of the fancy packaging that you get. Sometimes I want to buy it just because it looks so good. <laughs> Look, uh, yeah, so Ro- I actually asked this question of Rosemary Stanton, our kind of national dietary guru a few years ago. And and when we looked at uh, a packet of soy milk, first of all, it had, I think, seven or eight different types of emulsified fats, all sorts of things from very unsustainable, unhealthy sources of fats like palm oil through to um, very processed forms of fats that are blended into the milk to make it more nutritious. Um, We also found high levels of salt in some products uh, and almond milks that only contained, in in actual fact, uh, a litre of water and a handful of nuts. Very expensive way of buying your almonds. So I think the you know it, it is important when it comes to plant-based milks because we're not talking about something that's come out of, straight out of a cow. It is important to turn the packet over to look at the nutrition label uh, and to look at things like salt, fat, and micronutrient content. And if you don't have the time to do that, um, then either you know research once and stick to that brand. Or if you've got no other reasons not to drink cow's milk, it, it might actually be better in consultation with the nutritionist to stick to the original stuff. Should it be called milk, Sandra? What do you have a personal opinion? I do on have a personal look. I think it should. I think it's okay to call it milk because it's a you know it is an alternative to um, it's still a natural product and it's an alternative that you know people understand. Uh, I think it creates more confusion if you start calling it all sorts of different other words. But I can also I, I do also get. Um, the, the nervousness that might come from, you know, the dietitian community or even the farming community, um, you know, it, it doesn't come out of a cow, I get that. Milk comes from an animal. Yeah. yeah. It can come from a human, you know. Um, yeah. You know, we women can produce breast milk, but, um, yeah, I don't know. A, a, a nut or a bean can't produce milk. This, I tried plant-based burger at a certain food chain and it was great, but then I realised it had more salt and more kilojoules than the normal burger and it was actually going to be worse for me, which was very disappointing. This, Rochelle and guests, milk comes from mammals, animals. Plant-based liquids should be called juice, not milk. We don't drink uh, we don't drink orange juice. Or is it just you're simply choosing these products because of animal welfare and you don't want to see animals killed? So do you eat plant-based milk and, or drink plant-based milk, eat plant-based meat? What do you think? Should it be called meat? Should it be called milk? And what are the reasons behind you choosing these particular products? This is the Conversation Hour. Milk cows, I grow spots, I drive tractors. 
Rochelle Hunt, Kirsten Tipros, Dr Sandro Tomeo with you today as we discuss the rise and rise of plant-based products that we drink and that we eat. Around the world, changes are being made to what you can call them, how they should be labelled and laws around how they should be produced. Narlan's in Cape Patterson. Morning, Narlan. Hi. Hi. What did you want to say? Uh, I think there's no problem calling a plant-based milk milk. Uh, nobody gets confused around coconut milk, for example, and that's been around for ages. Everyone knows what's going on. Uh, it's not like people are being tricked or anything. Um, language evolves. Um, these are words that, w- that we are using now to mean a wider range of things. I mean, even your guest... Um, use the word milk in her introduction because that's the word we're using now. Um, I don't like the commodification of language where, mm. you know, champagne can only be used, you know, in yeah. the champagne region, etc., etc. It's just an evolving language and I think it's perfectly fine. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I mean, it, it, we have to ask ourselves why are we not wanting to call it milk? I think if it's just to protect... Uh, an industry, then we have to be really careful that we're not causing more confusion. There is so much confusion already among the public around what we're eating, what we should be eating, what's healthy, what's not. Uh, If it's going to create less clarity and more confusion by having to call it, you know, nut juice uh, or rebrand coconut cream, which we've been calling coconut cream for decades, coconut God knows what, um, you know, then I, I, I think we have to be careful. There's enough confusion out there. Caroline's in Rosanna. Good morning, Caroline. Hi, how are you? Well, what did you want to say? I just think that um, we've been calling coconut milk milk for decades, you know, um, and people have not really had that much of a problem. Milk of magnesia, which I understand is something you can get at the chemist, not from an animal. Um, and um, you know, what about the meat? What about the meat side of it? So in France, Caroline, mm. they're changing yeah. laws now that you can't call it meat. You can't even use the terms that we associate with meat, like grill and steak and a few things. Mm. Where do you sit with that? Should plant-based meat be just a plant yeah. but pro- patty? Well, I think vegans um, sometimes people say, "Why do vegans want to eat meat?" Well, it's because we've grown up with these products and we we like them and we've enjoyed them but when we don't want to for whatever reason animal suffering environmental we still have a touch point to those products and we want something sometimes that replicates it mm. so and i suppose I think it, that's why i suppose it's like mints as well if you had mints from a supermarket like but that's a mince is a process yeah, yeah so yeah. so you should be able to you got minced meat i mean if you if you're going to go to the supermarket what are you going to call it instead if it's minced meat made of something else it can become or vegan cheese i mean vegan cheese makes a lot of sense to me if you had to call it vegan processed non-dairy product um i mean i'd I'd have no idea where you even find that in the supermarket but that's interesting right maybe that's what it comes down to it wouldn't be appetizing and you wouldn't have something to well it also wouldn't be accurate or clear it would just cause a lot of confusion. Is it come to, I mean, maybe it does come down to confusion. Let's bring in Dr Hope Johnson here. She's from the University of Queensland and has been researching the regulations and the politics around alternative proteins for a long time. And Hope, uh, congratulations, actually, because you've mm. just received a, a three-year research grant to continue looking into this. Is it about confusion, do you think? And we use the terms meat and milk, even if there's no milk and no meat in the products, just so we're not confused? Well, we had a Senate inquiry um, on this exact topic in 2021 um, into definitions of meat and other animal products. And whilst there was a lot of submissions from the animal industry arguing that consumers were confused, 
the ACCC, which is our main regulatory body for investigating um, whether there's been a breach of our laws around whether consumers are being misled and deceived. The ACCC reported no um, complaints from actual consumers of being confused by the products and the only complaints that they received were from industry. So broadly, it does suggest mm. that this is more of an industry uh, issue um, staking its claim over particular products than perhaps one of consumers legitimately confused. I'd also add that if we're thinking about highlighting the ultra-processed nature of the plant-based milk and things like that, we should think about doing that more broadly for all um, mm. products that meet that definition of being junk foods so or maybe an imitation lasagna for a ready-made lasagna mm. that has lots of food additives as opposed to just... <laughs> yeah. My, my nonna like, would say no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She would say no. And therefore, yeah. maybe we should think, well, maybe that should be labelled if, if we're going oh, to focus yeah. on or these pasta products. pasta that's not made from durum wheat. Is that pasta? Oh, this is a slippery, well, this is mean, a slippery <laughs> slope. Yeah. Slippery slope. <laughs> uh, Hope, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, because you, you mentioned that it was mainly coming from, from industry, and I remember that whole inquiry really, really well. And I know a lot of the concern as well was around the packaging. So the labelling, but also sort of the colours and mm. the way it was made to look that people, you know, the concern was that people were picking up plant-based products thinking it was meat, and that wasn't even clear. Is 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 that something that that you've seen, or or is there concern around the packaging? I think people just want to know what they're buying is what they think it is. Yeah, I I think there's there's two kind of issues. Are they confused and and accidentally buying these plant based products, thinking they are in fact meat or they mm. are in fact milk, or are they buying them thinking that they're they're nutritionally equivalent? I which think it's the not. second. Mm, I don't think people point. are making a mistake. No. And I thought, oh, I thought these were beef burgers. Yeah. Yeah. The inquiry submissions indicated that consumers were buying them by this is from the industry and thinking that they were buying meat when they weren't. Um, and then we're really shocked, you know, uh, um, discovering that it wasn't. But that's a, that's um, a good point. I mean, particularly the second one around people buying foods thinking they're healthy. I think you make a really great mm -hmm. point that, uh, Dr Johnson, that's not only meat or, or you know, meat alternatives or, or milk alternatives, but all foods. I mean, people pick yeah. up foods, they, they're not able to understand whether they're healthy or not, whether they're plant-based, whether yeah. they're meat-based. Um, you know, that, that's actually a, a broader issue. And I think that is something we need to look more closely at as a nation. I'd love to know yeah. if someone has been confused, though, and they thought they were buying meat and, and bought. I'm actually I have more issues when the fresh dog food is too close in the, uh, in the supermarket <laughs> section. Dr. Hope Johnson, in the research that you're doing, a part of what interests me is people, a lot of people will make these decisions because they think it is healthier for yeah. them. Can you talk us through generally how a plant-based a patty, a meat patty, is made? So there's two or even three main processing techniques. There's um, one called precision fermentation, which basically involves a genetic modification kind of process. And then there's sort of your more run-of-the-mill um, processing techniques where that involve, you know, extracting substances from various food products, combining them together and subjecting it to industrial processes to then create the end, say, patty in that mm. instance. So the, there's overlap because the GMO or the precision fermentation people are using, um, you know, high-tech 
um, genetic processes to create their products, but they're also still using those industrial techniques as well. So using various substances and flavorings and things like that, which are, I will point out, very common in our food system um, and very common in Australian diets, which uh, I think it's roughly around 40% of our food that we eat would be mm. considered ultra-processed. So oh, it would yes. have those things in it anyway. But just, um, just to be so, clear, yeah. this is not this, we're not talking about sort of, you know, your tempeh burger or your, your veggie burger that Absolutely you kind of not. get. This is, we're talking about lab-based meats that are, you know, usually uh, very specific products and and quite expensive. Uh, so it's a subsection of meat alternatives. There are lots of things that are mm-hmm. actually plant-based on the market, have been on the market for a long time, uh, including, you know, meat and vegetable mixes, for example. So if you turned it over, right, to read the ingredients, which I think more and more of us do now, if yeah. the first, say, four ingredients are food, so if it says cauliflower, lentils, potato... It's a good start. <laughs> then that's okay, yeah. yeah. But yeah. if it's if the first yeah. couple of ingredients are X, Y, P... 2000 <laughs> <laughs> then you start as a, to as a general a rule if you can't make it in your kitchen then it's probably a high processed item um mm. and you know you should be um, limiting your exposure to those things yeah. as a general Good rule. rule what are some of the examples of those high processed plant-based foods that we should look mm. out for Without naming names, yeah, without 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 you know giving the brand names, but as in when you're when you're thinking about you know I, I want to mm. buy something, what what should we be looking out for? Well, I think you, I think you need to be aware that if you're buying um, a product that is designed to be exactly like meat, so like tempeh and tofu and and your mushrooms, mm. you know that those are uh, minimally processed, almost whole food um, type. Things, especially in the case of mushroom, whereas when if you're buying something in a in a plastic package that has more than five ingredients, then you you are you should be aware that it, of course it is a more highly processed um, mm. food product. And I, I don't mean to paint this as if meat is superior because we do need to know. And as was pointed out earlier, that we need to um, reduce our meat consumption. So I'm not necessarily trying to suggest. You should then well, go and eat and, meat. and also, I mean, you can go to the supermarket today and pick up a meat-based burger that has 54, you know, like 17 exactly. ingredients as well and is highly processed. So just because yeah. the product is meat, uh, it can also come, you know, covered in plastic and with lots yes. and lots of salt and ingredients in it. I think, you know, getting away from uh, this black and white, unfortunately, it's not that simple. It's, it's shades yes. of grey as always with food. Stay mm-hmm. with us, Hope, because Tony's called in Eltham. Good morning, Tony. Good morning. Hello. Hi. Um, what do you want to say? I'd just like to ask some questions from you, very eminent, informed people. Uh, with the with regards to milk, the packaged milks and all the um, and the normal good, healthy milk, normal cow's milk, which is healthier, as a like soy, oat, almond milk, and and, and uh, I always have a in the morning a pretty healthy breakfast. I think porridge with some. Um, normal good Greek yogurt in it. And then I have some oat milk or sometimes some almond milk. And uh, But I don't bother about the normal cow's milk for that because there's enough cow's milk in in the healthy uh, Yalna yogurt. But what um, uh, do you think is healthier? Is the normal milk healthier than the packaged milk? Okay. For many of us, um, normal milk is perfectly well. For all of us, almost all of us, normal milk is perfectly healthy. You know, people might decide that they like the flavour of uh, a, a non, 
dairy milk, uh, they might have certain allergies and be, um, you know, given some advice by a dietitian or a doctor to avoid certain types of milk. Um, and then within the soys, the almonds, I think the takeaway is, you know, some of them can be very healthy. They can be largely um, you know, whole food, not whole foods, but minimally processed, uh, or they can be very processed. And so unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, if you are going to go away from the simple cow's milk, it does become a little bit more complicated. Uh, it is probably a good idea to speak to a dietitian if you're dramatically changing your diet or to your GP uh, and to find the product that you're going to move to uh, it's probably a good idea to turn over the label and just make sure again uh, Dr Hope's rule doesn't have more than five (laughs) ingredients. Good on you Tony great to hear from you. Hope with the research that you're doing and that you're looking into over the next three years what I mean what are you looking out for what are you hoping to discover? What I'm really interested in is the the different visions that um, plant-based meat proponents, I guess I would say, and also cell-based, which is your lab growing, Mm. and the meat industry, what are their visions for the future of food and how can we better um, find a compromise between, I guess, these different groups? But another related area is looking at how can food law better address sustainability and public health concerns? Because right now our food law is very focused on things like acute toxicity. So like immediately if you eat something, is it going to make you sick? Mm. But we need a more a food law, I, I would argue, that's more focused on long-term public health outcomes, dietary trends, and also addressing sustainability because of the significant impact of food on um, on, on those environmental outcomes. So I'm looking at how can we expand our food mm-hmm. law uh, in a way that better deals with those things. And that's a great point because you, you, you talked, Rochelle, before about France, who's ahead of us in terms of having not being able to call certain products certain products. But I would also remind everyone that France is way ahead of us in educating the public and empowering mm-hmm. the public through much tighter tighter rules when it comes to packaging and also on the front of pack, the labels that allow people. So we have a health star rating here in Australia. It's optional. It's okay, but it's not certainly not best practice worldwide. France has an integrated score that's much easier to read. It makes it much easier at the point of sale for a person to be able to understand if this product is healthy or not, whether it's plant-based or not. And increasingly, countries are even integrating environmental factors into those front of pack labels. So you can pick it up and you can say, this is good for me and it's good for the planet, whether it's plant-based or not, you know, actually it's about what's healthy Mm. for me, what's healthy for the planet, and I'm going to make a decision based on that and what I can afford. I think that's such a an important point, Sandro, and, and Hope, my question to you is, will you be engaging the agricultural industry in that as well? Because broadening out the the way our food laws work, you know, can also help growers mm. when they're thinking about the soil. You know, we're getting more and more information about the soil and the mm. microbiome and, you know, the nutritional value that comes from a plant from how it's grown mm. from, you know, from day dot and, and what, what can go in from that. It'd be great if we could access that that information because we have these debates all the time mm. about is, meeting, is eating meat or not eating meat better for the planet? And when it boils down to it, you can't answer it because of there's just too much information out there mm. and you can kind of swing an argument every every way, you know, there's mm. inputs that go into crops and there's mm-hmm. inputs that go into meat and how do you measure what's better for the environment or what's better for a, a person's diet? 
can be really hard to capture on a label, but I, you know, tip my hat to you. Um, hope that you're having yeah. a crack at it. For your yeah, study. look, I'm ha- oh, look, I'm having a crack at it. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if it bears any fruit. I think it's fascinating. We believe in you, Dr. Hope Johnson from the University of Queensland. Thank you so much. Next three years, I mean, that's important research, mm, Sandra, really isn't important. it? When because as consumers. We're trying generally, we're trying to do the the best thing for ourselves, yeah. for our families and increasingly more so now for the environment. And there's a lot of greenwashing out there. Oh, we're being amount. duped a lot of the time. So when it comes to food law, I mean, I love that France is putting an environmental rating yeah. on the front because we think, and something might be called, you know, bloody meadows, flushing meadows, whatever, yeah. and it's <laughs> terrible. Well, and also this this conversation also often ends up with, you know, people who don't eat meat being pitched against uh, the yes. f- farmers. But actually I haven't spoken to a farmer yet in Victoria who's not worried about climate change, who doesn't want to grow food that's good for the state and good for the nation. Uh, and actually, you know, this whole conversation is great news for Australian agriculture and even for Australian meat and milk producers because we, we are some of the most efficient and sustainable farmers in the world, there is always going to be a market for that food, whether it's in the country or beyond our borders. But we need to make sure that we're taking care of farmers, animals, the land and populations Mm. in the process. And that's why this conversation and the research that Dr Hope's doing is so important. So many texts on this. Apologies if we haven't read them out. Here's just a few. Peanut butter, nut meat, another example. Looking Mm, at an old recipe for Christmas pies, an ingredient called mince meat. I'm vegetarian. I uh, hate my food to look like meat. I can't eat it. Fake meat just isn't healthy, says Sam in St Kilda. And this is interesting. It says... Why don't we just add the word substitute, milk substitute or meat substitute? So maybe just something simple. Lasagna substitute. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take this on on behalf of my (laughs) nonna. Anyone who's, you know... If you're going to eat lasagna... If it's not made by an Italian... I think this texture deserves, uh, you know, a, a, and it should become an MP. You know, they've just absolutely crystallised it for me. I'm down with substitute. That's got me over the line. This is an interesting text. It's from Luke. Sandra, I know you're going to love this one. There are so many products that are just misleading. Sourdough bread from some major supermarkets are anything but... But does it have much more to do with our education? You can make your own bread. You can make your own stock and sauce, salad dressing. You know what's in it. People are bombarded now with health information and we seem to be missing the basic knowledge on what is good food and how to prepare it. I saw a piece by Jamie Oliver the other day Mm. and he was spruiking that he would love for every young person to leave when the time they leave school, they know how to cook 10 things. Yeah. And then I thought back, I thought, I didn't know, I didn't even know how to boil an egg. Like, I'm a good cook and I love to cook now, but when I finish school, yeah. steamed dim sims. Yeah, that I was think, it. Well, I think it's, uh, absolutely, I agree. I mean, it, it's both. We need to empower people. We need to, you know, make sure that everyone leaves school knowing how to uh, make, you know, a handful of really good, flexible uh, recipes that they can, you know, as kind of basic life skills that, that are so essential for navigating and, and enjoying, but also being able to afford really good food and, and make it from scratch. On the other hand, we need to make the environment simpler for people. If you're bombarded with junk food advertising on your tablet as a three-year-old, if you're, you know, if you've got um, cartoons on ultra-processed cereal at exactly the right height for children uh, in supermarkets, and your checkouts are laden with foods that say that they're, you know, sugar-free, but they're 30% sugar, or, um, you know, yeah. we've got to do both. We've got to make it simpler for people, and I think there are things that we can do learning from other so countries around the world. So when we talk about food world. laws, that should potentially come into it. 
It also comes down to parenting, really. Like, you know, I tell my kids all the time why we don't eat certain fast foods because, you know, there's nothing good in them. You know, we might be, they might be allowed to have it once a year, that it's a, it's a junk food. I think parenting plays a role as well. Kay has called in from Talbot. Hi, Kay. Oh, good, good morning. How are you? Good, thanks. What did you want to say? Well, I'd like to explore with your presenters whether GPs have upped the percentage of their training in terms of nutrition. When I trained as a Weight Watchers lecturer many years ago, we were told that the average GP in a six-year course spent about six weeks on nutrition. And given that our whole body relies on what we put in our mouths, I'm wondering if this has improved because the the adage was that you consult an, uh, a GP if you have any nutritional or dietary mm. questions. Now, mm. a dietary a dietitian, I can understand, but I'm just wondering whether a GP does have the knowledge. Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, the answer is we it hasn't improved significantly. So um, doctors still, you know, we get very limited uh, education about nutrition, probably less than most people would argue um, we need. That said, I mean, it, there is a lot to learn in five years and, and I kind of get how packed the curriculum is. But uh, and, and also, you know, most good GPs will involve and work really closely with a dietitian who's, you know, infinitely more expert at these things, as you would in a hospital. When I worked in a hospital, there was always a dietitian on the team as we had a farm pharmacist and a physio and other expert specialist um, healthcare professionals. But I think it is a good point. I mean, how we continue to upskill as doctors to be able to have these conversations. That's really a tricky one because often when I'll discuss that on air, people will say, well, I hate my GP raising my diet, especially if it's weight-based. If I've gone in to speak to them about, I don't know, but I think there's a, a big sore difference. on my foot, where yeah. and when. But uh, Yeah, but the thing is, Rochelle, yeah. the sore on your foot, as our caller very rightly said, I mean, the food is the building block, literally the building block of the cells in your body. So the, the, the sore on your foot, there's a good chance it's related it's to the food you're eating yeah. and certainly the healing of that sore on your foot is definitely related to the the nutrition, you know, the level of nutrition in your diet. I hear you, Sandra, but though, I once Separating had... that from, from, from weight. Weight is very different, and I think that's uh, sometimes a less helpful conversation. I once had a, an obstetrician tell me that um, the reason why I was putting on so much weight during my pregnancy was, was because of my diet and to cut back on things like pies and cakes. <laughs> and I wasn't eating pies and cakes, <laughs> and I felt horrible you know like yeah. it really hit me hard i was you know quite emotional about it and then i had a good friend of mine who just said just don't look at the scales that's what i did and it made me feel a lot better um you yeah. know it's a tricky conversation no, look and, and i'm sorry to hear that that happened to you and <laughs> and i think um you know uh, lots of um really professional gynecologists obstetricians you know would have a very different approach but i think in general, um, you know, it is a difficult conversation and mm. I think it comes with a lot of judgment and food is, is a very loaded, judgy conversation, unfortunately. That's another issue we need to yeah. kind of look at and that's beyond doctors. That's a societal issue. But, um, you know, continuing to have those conversations around food and nutrition in a really positive way, celebrating our culture, celebrating our traditional diets, building skills and, and celebrating the ability to cook and separating that simply from a reductive conversation around weight. Uh, I think most GPs would be on that same page. Vanessa's in Elfington. Morning, Vanessa. Uh, good morning. 
Um, just a couple of quick points. On the terminology aspect, um, I looked up my uh, 1979 Christmas present book and it talked about soy milks and nut milks. <laughs> so the term's been That's around for a yeah. very long time. Um, and then the other aspect that hasn't been looked at, I think, in terms of um, water use for, for growing almonds is mm. huge. And so people talk about, oh, the water use for dairy cows but we're not then addressing that same issue. Yeah. No, it's a good point. And, that, and that's why, again, better labelling would, would bring those. They would allow people to kind of compare the products based on environmental and health benefits, regardless of whether it's plant or animal sourced. And does, where does the water come from? Does it come from the sky or does it come from, uh, mm, you know, well, irrigation? Too, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's tricky. Dr Nicole Callow is a Senior Research Fellow and Lecturer at the Department of Nutrition, Dietetics and Food at Monash University. Nicole, we often think we are doing the right thing. We think we're making the healthier choices. Are plant-based options generally healthier for us, do you believe? Hi, thanks for having me. Um, well, look, we know from epidemiological, you know, long-term studies where we follow people who who follow a vegetarian diet, um, those people are healthier, they tend to live longer, they have less lower risk of chronic disease like cancers, diabetes, um, less risk of be being overweight. Um, but those are the people that eat more of the whole whole foods like fruit, vegetables, legumes, grains, nuts, not the processed sort of packaged meat alternatives like your plant-based burgers, hot dogs and nuggets. And so we don't have any long-term studies, um, epidemiological studies, looking at the long-term health of people who've regularly eaten processed meat alternatives. But I imagine it's not very good. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wanted to say, mention something about, I heard your, your recent caller, um, you know, I think there has to be a huge amount of um, changes made to, to food labels, um, mm. especially for milks, because the Australian and uh, the Food Standards Australia and New Zealand um, have specified that you can't, if it doesn't come from the mammary gland of an animal, you can't call those milk alternatives milk. And yet they do, they call them, so it should be really soy drink or oat drink. Um, but they, but actually they, they call them milk um, in most cases. And that's actually wrong labeling do you think that has any influence on people making nutritional decisions like you know i mean sandra and others were arguing before if, if people know what it is then the word doesn't matter so much but do you think people are buying it thinking they're getting the same nutritional profile or similar as milk i think a lot of a lot of people may be and look that these um plant-based alternatives to cow's milk do have a place I mean, if you are allergic to lactose um, and you can't digest the lactose in cow's milk, if you um, are concerned about animal welfare. Um, but I, I must say that um, a previous caller was absolutely correct that most of the world's almonds come from California. So if you're concerned about food miles, the almonds are coming a lot from a long way away. And also the, the water use that's used in almond production far exceeds water use that, that's used in, in um, raising dairy cattle and milk production. So cow's milk production. Um, I think a lot of people think they are getting the same the same product. However, it, it can be very different. Cow's milk has more protein. Uh, it's got calcium in it. Now, some of the, the milk alternatives have calcium added, 
but regular cow's milk contains vitamin D, vitamin B12. That's a lot of nutrition that people may be missing out on mm. by having those dairy alternatives. When we talk about labelling and there's what's healthy for us and the health star rating and whatnot, which still needs a lot of work, we all know that. What do you think about the lead that France is taking that Sandra was talking about, Nicole, about also putting on the environmental ratings so to speak because a lot of people make decisions based on the environment now and they think they're doing the right thing would you like to see changes in that aspect as well absolutely i would love to see a lot of changes across the board to food labeling um look the environmental um impact of of the food that people are eating people want to know about that and and you know it would be really beneficial the other thing that in australia we've kind of been influenced in a big way by um now i don't know exactly what portion of the food industry but a certain portion of the food industry that are selling food um um, that are in the the marketing of, of food and the actual sales um they've campaigned heavily for um, some quite ambiguous food labelling. So, for example, the percentage energy, um, you know, provided by um, by different nutrients in, in the food. Now, that's very confusing for even some dietitians to understand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what help do the rest of us have? But exactly. So they've, they've said... Okay. Well, we want. The, we're happy for this. We don't want to put more detail. We're happy to go with this. It's voluntary, though, and that's another problem. Yeah. The health star rating has also got some. You know, there's some benefits of it, but mm. it's. It, there are some disadvantages of it as well because it's only rating uh, foods within that particular category compared to other foods within that category. So it's not. You know, four four stars doesn't mean four stars. Overall, in a diet, it means four stars compared to other like foods in that category. Oh, <laughs> and so, yeah, and so it's very confusing. And I think there's been a lot of pushback from certain elements of the the food industry against more um, understandable, you know, even a traffic light system, which would mm. make things very simple uh, and is used overseas. There's been pushback against that here. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Nicole Kello, uh, Senior Research Fellow and Lecturer in the Department of Nutrition, Dietetics and Food at Monash University. Those food star ratings, I've said it before in this program, my kids are obsessed with them, delighted that a Kit Kat gets half a star, um, that they think that it's then on the kind of spectrum of healthy food, <laughs> <laughs> which I tell them it is not. Um, Anu is in Berwick. Uh, hi, Anu. Yes, uh, good morning. I just wanted to also add to uh, this topic about the role of the food labeling uh, laws that you guys were discussing and mm -hmm. the reluctance of the, both political major parties to do anything about it. And obviously, uh, the big multinationals making huge profits. Uh, I just wanted to um, highlight that the, the funding they might be getting from these big multinationals uh, which basically allowing them to get away with without much food labeling laws, which is similar in the alcohol industry, gambling yeah. industry. So mm. do we the need role to of do more as us public to stop politicians or big political parties uh, accepting donations and saying there was nothing to see here? 
Mm, well, and, and it's not just donations, it's also lobbyists and the influence directly of the food industry. I mean, food's become a really big business. There are a handful of companies now globally that control most of our food system uh, or certainly most of the processed and, and packaged foods that we eat. And, and that means that there's a lot of money to use to advertise, to shape norms, to influence policymakers and politicians. Um, and, and very often, he, he's right, very often it's that's what stops yeah. good policy happening. And we are years behind. We are a long way behind in Australia. Other countries, even across the ditch, uh, we're, a, we're a long way behind New Zealand and other countries in terms of, um, you know, really empowering and supporting consumers to make healthy uh, and sustainable decisions, which they want to be making uh, at the checkout. It is big business and we live in a world of startups now as well, where everybody's trying to make that next big product. So how much of an impact is it actually having? Matt Delgleish is the director of episode3.net, which is he's a commodity market analyst. And Matt, do you look at what's sort of making inroads, what isn't, what's being successful, you know, what is being exported and imported? Where does the plant-based world sit at the moment? Is it having a dent on, let's call it, traditional agriculture? Thanks for having me, Rochelle. No, not really. If you look on a global perspective and you say take uh, the plant-based milk product, uh, or the milk substitutes. Um, the global market for that's nearly $900 billion, of which the plant-based items take up about $26 billion. So they're about 3% when you're talking globally. Um, if you look at Australia, uh, you know, sales are closer to 8%, so it's a bit higher just within Australia, and I think America's maybe nudging towards 15%. Um, so some, some of the developed countries have got a bit more of an uptake, but when you look globally, it's a, still a very much a niche market. And for meat-based substitute or plant-based meat, um, that's even that's even less. It's about ten billion dollars uh, in terms of you know, sales globally. Against the, the the meat market across all different meat types is something like one point four trillion dollars. So um, meat substitutes are, are less than one percent, about 07 percent of the global market. Matt, from a, a farming perspective, it's Kirsten here. We sometimes sort of watch these things and and we think, okay, is this really going to change? what we produce you know is the demand going to going to change how do we know because these things can burst onto the scene the scenes and and have this great uptake and then fall away or they can just sort of grow steadily when you're looking at the markets can you really pick us uh, you know uh, tell us whether this is something that's going to stay whether we should be paying a lot of attention to it or not yeah, you're right. At the outset, there were some companies in particular that had a lot of hype around their product that didn't persist. Um, I think for this type of a, you know substitute products, they they will have a market space over time, and, and you've got to compare them to other you know new developments. It does take sometimes decades for these um, these types of items to to really get a foothold. So I don't think there's an immediate risk of them taking over and and substituting a lot of agricultural products just yet. Um, you know, I think though when you look at say you know decades from now once they get more cost competitive i think that's mm. where they might start to capture a little bit more market share but at the moment they're still very much a product that's in high demand in high uh, high wealth countries but you know when you when you look to the most of the globe you know most of the um, developed world still wants to have the real product when it comes to either milk or real meat 
And it's interesting too, isn't it? Because as you say, Kirsten, they can burst onto the market and we had a, a plant-based meat uh, company that was quite successful very quickly. I think they were uh, producing the the meat, fake meat patties for one of the big you know, um, fast food chains. Mm. But yet, Matt, they went under not too long ago, but they were, you know, they were employing a lot of people in a big regional city centre. So they can come on quickly, but there's lots that goes into these companies and then they can fall away just as quickly, Matt. That's right. Yeah, that's the local one you're referring to there, I recall. But if you look at one of the bigger players, I won't mention their brand name, of course, but one of the bigger players had a a huge share market debut and a massive rally in share price. And subsequently, the share price since the since the opening is down about 90 percent currently. So they've been hammered and and I think they've struggled to make profit for the last four or five years. So, you know, all of that hype around it, there was quite a few people that that decided to try the product. I was one of them included to see what all the hype about. But I really only had had it once and I don't think I'll be rushing back again. (laughs) But I think it was probably the US one that uh, I mentioned at the start of the program. Again, 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 though, we mixing a few different things here so mm-hmm. so the plant-based milks um based on what you're saying and what i know of the markets as well they they are increasing they, they've got a good foothold in the market there's probably a generational uh difference as well as you know i think there's a, a younger a younger um consumer base uh, particularly in america and australia those sorts of markets that i think will continue uh to drink those products as they age so that the market will probably continue to transition or balance in a different way versus then these very very new extremely expensive lab-based products that are still really in many ways kind of novel technologies more than foods Uh, and as with most novel technologies they usually start in america either the east or west coast places like sydney and melbourne and you know london they start as a kind of a bit of a um, you know, they burst onto the scene and they start with a bit of a bang and then they'll reach some sort of equilibrium as they find their, their market share. But certainly, you know, these products, the lab-based meats, are not going to solve world hunger tomorrow. I don't think anyone would argue. And there are lots of other much, much lower tech options um, to help us to reduce the protein gaps uh, and the high levels of anemia that we continue to face globally. But I think, you know, in Australia... Um, our, our worries around climate change, the generational shifts that are happening, um, mm. the longer term trend is that, that, that these products and certainly the alternatives in the milk space uh, are here to stay and will be a mix uh, you know, in the market for a long time to come. Educating themselves as well. Matt, really good to get your insights. Thank you. Matt Delgleish, no. the director of episode3.net. If we're really quick, let's squeeze in Bronwyn, who's been waiting in Warrnambool. Bronwyn, I guess you grew up drinking soy, but a more natural kind. Is that right? No, I haven't. But my father was involved in the industry worldwide. Um, and I think one of Soy milk's been around for decades now, particularly in Asian countries where many of them can't tolerate milk. And that's probably come about, the word milk, as I think about it, has probably come about because the soybean is one of the few vegetable products that has a complete protein like milk. Um, It can be separated with acid like milk and that's how the tofu comes around and you're right too Bronwyn in that it's one that's been around for the longest it's one that we've seen for a long time just finally Dr Sandro Tomei will we ever see law changes here I mean honestly and if we do will they be significant because we come up with these wishy-washy label systems that still let people do whatever they want to do well as long as the power you know, imbalance exists where companies are really have better access and more influence over politicians than 
families, communities. I think we're we're pushing you know uh, food uphill. But I, I'm I'm a I'm a you know I'm an optimist. I think it will happen. Um, I think the winds of change are already here. Uh, you know we're we we're playing catch up to the rest of the world, but we've led the world in other areas of public health like tobacco control. So we can do it if we want to do it. Uh, and I remain an optimist. Dr. Sandro Tomayo, CEO of Vic Health, as always. Thank you, Kirsten Diprose, joining us from ABC Warrnambool. I mean, it's not a fight, is it? It's really about education and being us being able to make the right choices for ourselves and our loved ones. I uh, joined Sandro as uh, an optimist about how we can all work together. You know, if we put health and the environment at the front and how we're going to get there and good science, you know, we need the truth. Uh, You know, if we can lead with that and work together, you know, it's not an us versus them. It's not a plant-based versus traditional agriculture. You know, agriculture is changing and evolving Mm -hmm. and needs to as you know, we as a society progress and our needs change and our eating habits change. I want people to be healthy. I want people to have good food. And we do have good food in this country and we're so proud of it. It's grown so well. But yeah, let's let's stop the us versus them. Let's just work together towards making sure we all continue to have access to good food and can know what's in our food. Transparency. Yeah, transparency is it. Transparency. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.